Welcome to the Governance Voice Podcast, your source for news, trends, and challenges in the world of corporate governance. GBC is a member organization that promotes and supports the role of the governance professional and corporate secretaries across Canada. We provide valuable information on changes and developments that affect our industry. Each month, we dedicate a podcast episode to a key relevant topic. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Governance Professionals of Canada is providing this podcast as a public service and an informative resource on issues in governance. Our content is not intended as a legal representation nor a formal statement of GPC's policy, opinion, or recommendations. Any reference to specific products, services, or entities does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by GPC. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of their views or of any entity they represent. GPC does not take responsibility for content produced outside of our organization. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact our organization at info at gpcanada.org. That's info at gpcanada.org. Welcome to this month's episodes of The Governance Voice, the podcast for governance professionals of Canada, or GPC. I'm your host, Latricia Fullerton. Here at GPC, I'm the Manager of Administration, Education, and Special Projects, and I'm also one of your podcast hosts. As you know, we're always looking for trending and pressing governance topics to discuss. Um, we hope that our podcast helps all governance professionals of Canada to better support, guide, and influence their boards and organizations. Today, we're going to be sitting down with John Dinner, the President of John T. Dinner Board Governance Services. His Canadian consulting firm is a leader in corporate governance and board effectiveness. For more than 25 years, John has been helping Canadian board and all sectors to improve their performance and their organization successes. His area of expertise covers leading edge governance practices, including board committee and director effectiveness evaluations, board education, meeting and decision-making effectiveness, information management, and related services. John has been a huge part of GPC's professional development courses. He's been a consistent speaker in our flagship Meetings, Minutes, and Running Effective Board Meetings event. He's also um, working with us on several sessions, such as setting up the stage for boardroom success, board and committee director, director assessments, as well as non-for-profit governance. John has been a huge part of GPC's professional development courses. He's been, he's been a consistent speaker at our flagship meetings, minutes, and running effective board meetings event. He's also been working with us on several sessions, such as setting the stage for boardroom success, board and committee director assessments, as well as non-for-profit governance. He's also one of the faculty in our GPC designation program. On April 7th, we have another session with John board culture, an essential requirement of governing well. It was such a refreshing new topic that we wanted to discuss it as a podcast as well. We always love to chat with John on his passion of governing change and practical tools and ways that we can make a difference. So let's get right into it, John. How are you today? I'm doing really well, Latricia, as you know, um, and our listeners may not. It, we've had a snowstorm, and uh, normally uh, it's quite possible I would have been trying to get to the 
airport today and hopping a flight, but given the pandemic, yeah, we're stuck. I'm, I'm in my home office and I didn't have to worry <laughs> about that today, right? So Likewise. actually there, there's some upside to all of this craziness. <laughs> Definitely. It makes traveling a lot easier. For sure. Yes. From upstairs to downstairs. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. So let's start off with something simple, John. Um, we're hearing a lot about board culture, but it still seems elusive. What are we talking about when we talk about board culture? Yeah, I, I think there is more attention for sure being placed on board culture. The, the, the language is sort of part of, I think, the narrative when we talk about boardroom effectiveness and governing well. Um, I'm not sure if it's got that far past that. Mm -hmm. um, it, it may be just mere talk. But when I think about what boardroom culture is, first of all, I would say every boardroom has its own unique culture. And often I think boards haven't actually identified it or described it or come to terms with it. But, but I really sort of think of it in terms of what's the tenor and tone of um, the board team in terms of working together as a, as a collective in the decision-making process. So what does that look like? What does it feel like? How does it play out mm -hmm. um, from a relational perspective and, and a group contributing together? Right. And then the relationship between board and management and what does that look like sort of sharing power and control and how well or not does that happen? And I guess that would be a starting point for me describing or defining a board's own culture. What board culture is, okay. So where have you seen boardroom culture show up in your work? Well, I see it with every client, first of all. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess maybe the more salient question is where have I seen it where it's been um, perhaps really the ideal or really problematic. And I would right. say there's lots in between along that spectrum. They mm -hmm. kind of reside somewhere. Uh, but one sort of situation that I recall, and I think it's perhaps more particularly relevant to representative boards where you have different stakeholders around the table. Okay. And so there's sometimes a competitiveness, right? They're, they're there because they have, the members have skin in the game, as I call it, mm -hmm. um, outside of their role as directors. And so they bring to the table already um, a sense that, well, I have to gain something or achieve something for those that I represent. And that can be problematic, even though you're supposed to be there to act in the best interest of the corporation. I think in theory, that's easy, but they know after a meeting, there's going to be people who are going to be kind of interested. So did we win or did we lose? And I've right. seen that right. where it becomes very adversarial and in the extreme, very dysfunctional. And it's a matter of how do you get a group with kind of maybe disparate or conflicting interests to work mm -hmm. together as a collective group, a decision-making body. And in that particular case, um, because it was sort of, it was early days in my consulting work. And mm -hmm. uh, I came up with the idea of them actually sort of coming up with a board or a governance vision. What did they want to say was true about the board, say two to three years from now, that wasn't true today and what work had to be done to get them there. And that really helped them sort of coalesce around a common purpose or mission or goal, which really helped to you know, soften those edges, you know, where there were differences and where there were conflicts. So um, I would say it impacted everything the board did and, uh, and usually in negative fashion uh, because it really was dysfunctional. And when people spoke, the lens people used to listen or 
see view the right. other director was oh you're part of that group or I know what you're going to say I know what what your motivation is right and, and that instead was of being so self-serving I guess right because I, I, I where, where I guess it could where that can be somewhat toxic which you'll probably answer in some of our upcoming questions was when instead of being self-serving you're more being inclusive absolutely of their board right for sure. And being part of sort of a team, right? That's why right. we have boards is because some critical organizational decisions are being made. And it's a group decision to which ideally everyone is going to, you know, commit to and, and kind of have co-ownership of. Mm -hmm. And um, that can be challenging if everyone's kind of not on the same page working together. Um, and, and putting some of those differences to the side for the benefit of the organization. So I mentioned representative boards as being, you know, perhaps the, perhaps more at risk than some others, but, but certainly I think it happens to varying degrees in every boardroom. And, uh, it's a topic that I think boards really need to, to look at a lot more closely and begin addressing more explicitly. So why, why do you, why do you think it's important? Why do you think boardroom culture is important? Why do you think boards should be? talking about this. Yeah. So if we go back, let's say, you know, this whole focus on corporate governance is, you know, give or take, you know, about 30 years old, mm -hmm. um, early nineties in Canada anyways, that's when we really started focusing on. Way older than I am. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> for sure. So that's why I felt compelled to remind you or make you aware of it. Um, give you a little history lesson from the dark ages. Um, but back then, you know, I think governance has evolved, focusing on, first of all, on structure. So how many board members, what kind of committees, how often do you meet, that sort of stuff, which was great. Mm -hmm. And then they started focusing more on process, like how boards actually do their work. And that was good progression. And you can codify those, you know, there's these best practices or guidelines or whatever. So you can put those in documents and you can agree on those. Um, boredom culture is something entirely different, right? But you right. think if you don't have a, a, a group of directors who sort of have trust and confidence in each other, structure or process isn't gonna get you very far. Right. right, because there, I, I would say boardroom culture is almost foundational so that, you know, structure and process can really live up to their potential. Mm -hmm. uh, but it gets so easily undermined if you've got conflicting views or lack of respect or competitiveness or whatever it is between board members. Um, part of it is just sort of recognizing what's going on in the room at any given time. I think even on the best boards to varying degrees, there's, there's biases around the table. And, and who, who's the one or how are those biases gonna get surfaced and addressed? Right. Um, and until they do, I would say a board's operating, operating suboptimally. And so the structure or processes that you might be um, following aren't going to extricate you from that that challenge all right um that makes sense so when how do people determine if their board dynamic is healthy or if it's toxic yeah well and i guess i don't even know if it has to be toxic per se but that would be an extreme 
but there is some um, there's some oh, for sure like, absolutely definitely absolutely <laughs> for sure and i would say it's more Rogers. toxic to individual directors too right what they right. experience depending on who they are and how they relate and how they are regarded by their board peers right so i would right. say for sure um there would be individual director experiences which would be more toxic than to others um so healthy you know i don't think there is you know, you could you could come up with some some general ideas as to what would you know constitute a, a healthy boardroom culture and i would say you know respect for each other and openness uh welcoming of new ideas and and, and different perspectives um you know a board where directors really listen to each other and engage and explore as opposed to maybe a board where, you know, someone like John Dinner speaks up and I, you know, that I want it to be the final word, right? Like I impart right. my wisdom. And if Latricia across the table from me were to sort of say, oh, I want to add or I want to challenge that, like I may not, you know, take kindly to that. Right. As opposed right. to saying, wow, I really appreciate a different perspective or someone else's, you know, experience right. or understanding. Yeah. Um, and I would say in our culture sort of writ large in you know western society you know most of us are raised to be pretty independent self-sufficient and autonomous and so we don't i would say engage in groups naturally or intuitively i think it's something that we really have to learn because you know we're, we're just not wired that way a lot now it can, may come down to personality like individual personality types, but I think, again, our culture doesn't really espouse that. We talk a lot about teams, but I wonder a question how much we really embrace it to take the theory into practice and really, you know, where you've got that interdependence of board members, right? Relying on right. each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as defined. So, I, but I would say that would be the healthy, towards the healthy end of the, the spectrum. Um, and then we sort of talked about already what an unhealthy board. I think part of the question is, I don't think boards really even inquire or probe about their boardroom culture. No, it's, I don't. I, 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 no, I wouldn't see how that would be. Like, who really sits back and says, "Is this is my board healthy? Is this a healthy environment?" I mean, maybe when it, when they're self-reflecting, and if there's an issue, they may. If they, mm -hmm. if there's a, you know probably a personal issue with with someone or something that the board is doing where they would actually sit the time or take the time to reflect on that but for the most cases i but who knows i right. I, I don't really see it and again one director's experience could be far different than another's exactly yeah definitely because yeah it's it's a really based on your own what my view of, of a healthy dynamic may not necessarily be your view correct and yeah. in the same I guess goes with having being in a toxic situation you may think I may take something and it's a hundred for me and where you're like tell you the situation and it's like what's the big deal Patricia like what <laughs> relax so that's right so. yeah as opposed to me saying wow something's <laughs> wrong here right like if if this isn't working for Latricia then I should be you know stopping things and so does let's explore that a bit further as opposed to well it's fine with me so it should be fine with you no, definitely um, for sure. which i think happens probably a lot and and i just think there's a lack of awareness and part of it is i think a lot of boards are just rather passive you know we we do what we have to do as directors mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but do we then sort of say you know let's build on that you know 
the basics and to something where the board is really sort of high functioning and recognizing that the dynamic in the boardroom, the culture, how we relate with each other, how we work, how we navigate conflict and difference of opinion. Right. Um, you know, how much better off would we be as a governing body than if we were just to kind of accept the status quo until such time as, you know, things kind of explode or become untenable. And then you sort of say, oh boy, now we're trying to, you know, dig ourselves out of the ditch as opposed to saying, you know, things seem to be functioning fairly well, but let's not take it for granted. Right. Let's really delve into it and find out from people like Latricia, like, what is your experience? Right. Um, and is it different or is it, you know, better or worse? what have you. And that also ties into also, and maybe this is a totally different podcast, but the whole board effectiveness part portion of it as well, because if, if board members are just there to do the status quo, mm-hmm. then how effective are you really being? For sure. Then, then challenging and taking things kind of out of the box. Um, so I don't know, that's just my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, I think you're absolutely right. And I think we sort of accommodate um, yeah. less than optimal board performance because it's often, you know, we recognize that the role of the board chair, for example, is to, you know, draw out those directors who may not engage as mm-hmm. much as they might. Well, I think what you're saying, you proverbially, uh, is saying that, you know, we accept the fact that there are going to be underperforming directors on our board. Right. That's kind of part of the board culture, right? Right. And, and we have to draw them out as opposed to sort of setting expectations and the bar such that, you know, you know, all board members should be capable and feel the obligation to participate and contribute to the work of the board proactively, Definitely. as opposed to, you know, giving them, you know, leeway to, to, to be not as active as, as, as they might be. And we also let other board members at the other end to, to be, you know, perhaps, um, yeah, over overbearing <laughs> yeah. and yeah. participate more than they should. Yeah, and it's kind of like everyone's crossing their fingers. I think yeah. and saying, "I hope this ends <laughs> soon." Right? Yeah. Um, but but it's kind of like everyone looks around and say, "Whose job is this to tell you know this person that you know okay time out?" Right. You've heard more than enough, or the language you're using is is offensive and unproductive. Right. Or what you're talking about has little to no relevance to the topic we're addressing on the agenda, right? Um, and I would say, how much better to have a, a boredom culture where, you know, there's an expectation. If myself as a director, I'm not really contributing, that I sort of almost give permission to sort of say, hey, call me out, right? Like, I'm here to do a job. I'm not here to be, you know, wear you down or you to tolerate yeah. me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I think that speaks a lot to kind of what happens in the boardroom um, instead of just the rolling of eyes and, and uh, you know, hoping against hope that, you know, this will end soon and we can get on with things. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So John, we've, okay. So we've been in this pandemic for, I don't even know, like I think every day is like the same day for me right now. I'm going into three mm-hmm. years. Um, Clearly, COVID, remote working, technology um, has made this situation more complicated, or maybe it's made it easier. How can board members and governance professionals get around um, these types of challenges? 
Yeah. Well, first of all, I think we have to ask what, what the challenges are and be aware of them. Because I think my sense is, and some of it's personal experience, some of it's observation, is that, you know, I think board members think it's a major success if we can actually sign into the meeting. Mm -hmm. um, that's all we have, but it's a, it's a, a totally different environment. And mm -hmm. what have boards done to say, you know, how do we have to function differently? Um, right. How does our way of relating to each other um, need to change to accommodate an online environment? And I'm not yeah. sure. Because yeah, that... do you remember when, like, <laughs> when, uh, like, when we used to do like teleconferencing, teleconference meetings, or there would always be that person that would have static on the phone, or, or now it's like it's norm. It's 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 yes. it's okay. Let's <laughs> move on. Right. Sorry, right. it happens. Yeah, but part of the question is like, what have we lost by going online and what have we gained and how do we adjust to that perhaps? And is it harder for people to engage? And if so, what do we do to try to make it easier for people to engage? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just it's, there's pitfalls to everything, right? Being in person, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's pros and cons. Being online, pros and cons. Pros it's identifying cons. how do we mitigate the risk of being online during the pandemic and how actually can we leverage whatever strengths or opportunities that it may present as well, right? So I don't think right. it's all bad, uh, but maybe we should have more shorter meetings, right? Like being online yeah. is, is tough. Yeah. So, yeah. but I don't know how much real thinking has gone on. Perhaps part of it is we thought we'd be past this by now. Right. Um, but I just wonder what better, how much better decisions might be had we sort of invested the time up front to figure out how to actually participate as, as, as board members, like it, every board member has to be distracted to varying degrees, more so online than they are in person, right? Mm -hmm. It's just so easy to check mm -hmm. out. It's almost impossible from time to time not to check out, right? right. So that has to have an impact. It's sort of like, Oh man, where were discussed. we in that discussion? Yeah. What did they just say? Or yeah. what, yeah. what, what agenda <laughs> item are we on? Or, you know, and I think, you know, we've all figured out for the most part. So that might be a little extreme, some of those examples, but at the same time, um, it has created deficiencies which need to be acknowledged and, and steps taken to mitigate, I think. And, and I don't think, you know, beyond providing some training, basic training on the technology. I don't know if boards have done a lot. And yet maybe this is a tool that we're going to be relying on, you know, maybe not Forward. as much as we do today, but it's yeah. going to be, you know, people are- You think so? I think people, I think this might, I think this, this might stick. Like, I mean, I know a lot of people are still looking forward to being back in person and, but I think now it's no longer going to be teleconferencing. It's going to be mainly Zoom. Like you're, they're going to want to see you say, face to face. Okay. For sure, absolutely, yeah. but but I, I wonder what the impact of meeting in person is going to be, right? right. Like, are we yeah. gonna are we gonna go back to that to varying degrees? Are we gonna supplement it with more online? Is it gonna be kind of that binary? It's either or. Um, you know, I don't think we've been able to figure that out. Yeah, yeah, yet, right. It's kind of like the workplace. You know, early on, I say we're never going back to the office ever again, and now, you know, as you say, two yeah, years in, looking at year three. <laughs> People are saying, well, We're that was done before we knew anything, right? That's what we thought. And now right. we've got that experience. So what are we going to do? And I think the same right. applies to the boardroom. Yeah, same. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So how should boards begin to tackle the topic 
of mm. culture in their boardrooms? Yeah. So like, I think where, couple, where, where would you begin? Yeah. So I think one thing that I think directors and maybe management for that matter think constitutes kind of boardroom culture is a, a code of conduct. And it says, you know, this is how we're going to behave, I guess. And I sort of think, you know, I, what's in a code of conduct is really trying to mitigate against something that's either unethical, illegal, or inappropriate. Mm -hmm. As opposed to saying, what are we going to do from a behavioral perspective that's going to, you know, you know, just set this board up to perform at a much higher level than it would otherwise. And I think right. the first part is to sort of saying, let's, let's actually describe what our boardroom culture is, you know, getting board member input, like how would you describe our boardroom culture and, and consolidate that into a con collective perspective and ask the question. So is this the boardroom culture we choose to have, mm -hmm. right? This is what it is. We've never actually not that I think you should necessarily pass a resolution, henceforth, this is our boredom culture, but it is a choice, I believe. And, and is the current ethos, tenor and tone of meetings, whatever, what right. we would choose? Uh, and if not- And that's a question that's okay to ask. It's pretty much a question sure. that's okay to ask. What, what, is, what is your boredom culture? Yeah. To you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and there may be conflicting views, right? Because right. presumably some people have given it more thought than others and have come up with different answers. So that's fine. But it's like getting to a process where you think, yeah, this is a pretty accurate reflection. I think I can go into most boardrooms and after sitting there for a couple hours, I could probably, you know, I'd be on the target. <laughs> I may not get a bullseye with my assessment, but I'd be pretty close, right? It's pretty obvious. And what do you do with that? What, what, what do you do with that? Does that, does that help you to assess the, like, do you have, do you sit down and talk to them? Do you tell them? Well, oh, for sure. What yeah, their, absolutely. Their like? Part of it's the board evaluation process where that would come up. And I see how board members conduct themselves generally as a group or as some individuals and how the board chair, you know, how they lead and how people respond, how much they rely on. Um, you know, how much deference there is to others, mm -hmm. uh, you know, those that, you know, how much, how many, you know, directors are there really trying to steer or control the conversation or cut it short when a different, you know, view is offered up that perhaps they don't agree with and they don't want to go down that path, right? There's, I think there's all these kinds of examples that you might be able to look for. And you could, you know, just ask, the, you know, is this what we would choose to happen? If not, then what would the ideal be? And then you could actually, I believe you can define the kind of boardroom culture that you want. And you may not, again, define it, you know, once and for all the first time, but you'd sort of say, this is better than what we've got. And here's the gap. Let's work towards that. And over time, exactly. iteratively, yeah. you would change, right? And mm -hmm. I think at the end of every meeting, perhaps you say, you know, this is what we committed to as a board in terms of how we're going to function, how we're going to relate together, how we're going to work with management. You know, did we live up to that commitment? Did we fall short? If so, where? Um, I think that's just a really productive exercise. Um, so I kind of like the idea of, it's more of a commitment statement or a, or a covenant. It's a promise to each other. This is as right. a board, this mm -hmm. is how, this is what we commit to in terms of how we're going to function, um, you know, in terms of boredom culture, the relational piece. And, and I think that's a really good starting point. And then continually sort of asking the question, are we actually living up to it or not? Um, 
part of it is I think the kind of people that you know boards recruit. Recruit, we're so, yeah, yeah. We're so focused definitely. on skills, knowledge, and experience. You sort of say, yeah, but the 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 personality that that director brings into the boardroom is either going to help it or it's going to take away from our ability to function well in a collective decision-making forum. And how do we know? Um, right. how do, yeah. And how do we hold people accountable to right. behave in a certain way? You know, I've often heard, and I think this may be part of it. When I do individual director assessments, I, I there's a behavioral component that I put on there. And if they aren't explicitly identified, which often they're not, I'll sort of say, well, let's just use your core values as those. And often what I'd hear is, well, those apply to, to staff management. They don't apply to board members. And I'm thinking, really? Like, why wouldn't they apply to board members? Um, so there is, I think, probably in a lot of organizations, there's behavioral expectations at a corporate level that can be extended to board members and board members could be you know, held accountable for them, which would presumably positively impact um, the boredom culture. What, what are the next steps that you would take to improve um, boredom culture? So I guess you pretty much said um, at the end of each meeting, recapping, I guess, what did, did we set, did, did we meet our expectations or did we set out what we wanted to do um, yep. for, for this board meeting? So while we're talking about tough times in the boardrooms and how can governance professionals support healthy boardroom dynamics? I think from a governance professional's perspective, uh, it's perhaps feeding articles to directors on the topic and just increasing awareness that this is a topic that board members should be cognizant of and, and begin to address and give priority to. Uh, it may be, you know, in working with the board chair is to sort of identify instances during board meetings where, you know, you think, you know, how board members interacted with each other was sort of less than optimal. And is there something that could be done? So trying to, I think with the board evaluations, um, that process, you know, injecting questions that are culturally uh, related. Um, so teasing out from that. And so I think it's maybe an iterative process. You know, I think as governance professionals, we own so little have a lot of accountability, but um, you sort of say, is that really within our job description? You sort of say, well, no, we don't, we don't, we aren't ultimately responsible, but you know, we see things going on. And if it's not ideal or problematic, if it was any other topic, we would bring it, you know, to the awareness of the board chair, community chair, whoever. Uh, and I think that same approach is entirely appropriate. Um, I don't think you know, a really competent board chair or whoever you're dealing with, it's not going to surprise them. Um, it, it may be more that, you know, they're just kind of used to it um, or not right, sure yeah. if you can do anything about it. Um, but I do think, you know, I think there are, as I've already sort of described, I think there are opportunities to, to positively impact boardroom culture. I also think, you know, from a management perspective, like they're the ones who see the board in operation and, you know, if board members aren't living up to a certain ethos, like the values that the corporation espouses or, you know, how board members interact with each other in terms of respect and, and what have you, I think that can be, you know, very demoralizing. And there's this kind of double standard that I talk about in boardrooms where, 
I think boards hold management to a much higher standard on a number of levels than they right. do themselves. And we overlook or allow or just ignore things that we would never allow management to, to get away with, right? Okay. Uh, okay. And I think that's part of it too. And I think if management is watching this play out, um, even if it's not that egregious, right? Mm -hmm. But it's it's just the the confidence and trust that management has in the board, I think, suffers if if the board isn't held, holding themselves up to the highest standard in terms of, you know, human relations and what have you. Right. So what happens then when you're dealing with board with board directors um, that are not so eager uh, to make a change? Right. Well, I think part of it is 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 you know what's you might say the value proposition of, of focusing and investing in that area, like what's the upside? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, if it's not that bad, what's the big deal? You know, like I'm not bothered. So, but I do think, you know, part of it is making each other aware of the impact that it does have. Um, so I talked just briefly or made, I, you know, suggestion around, um, the biases that are common in the boardroom. You know, I think there's a, there's several. Right. Um, so boardrooms rely on experts, and we recruit for experts. Um, but there's it then creates sort of a power structure, and so there's those who would sort of say, well, we have to listen to those who are an, an authority on a particular topic, and I'm not. You know, if I'm not a financial person, then I should step back. Uh, we're going to rely on those who are. You know formally financially illiterate, whatever. Um, so there's that kind of bias. There's 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 groupthink, um, you know, where we allow the majority to rule, even if you know a, a minority of the board, you know, has some concerns, you know, the 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 group, the majority sort of rules the day. And yet, you know, the minority view may actually be really relevant. Um, sometimes I would say the status quo um, it's a lot of work to, you know, upset things and not everyone is signing up for change. Um, a lot of people resist it. And so there's this bias towards let's just kind of maintain things the way they are. You know, what, on my watch, I don't want to be the one criticized for a misstep or problem. So let's, um, you know, leave things as they are. And I think another area of, of, of bias is just the tendency to confirm. Um, right. You know, an argument is made in favor of doing something. And John Dinner, for example, is listening for things that confirm my own values, beliefs. Um, and I may be more dismissive of those things that don't line up with what I typically um, believe to be true or factual right. or relevant. Um, so that none of those are terribly egregious. No one's being offended by those. Um, but as a board member, like if I allow those, you know, if I don't sort of acknowledge, you know, I do have biases and here's what I have to do to balance those. So they don't overtake. Um, I'm really relying on my board colleagues to override my views. Um, right. So I think that's problematic. It, it could be as subtle and nuanced as that and, and, and be problematic, right? Um, so. 
So as, as a governance professional, um, mm -hmm. can like, can you act as, as an agent of change within the boardroom? Like it, it, it's okay for you to have to voice that, I guess, is what I'm asking. For sure. Yeah, I know. And I guess it means, what, what do we mean by voicing these? It's sort of like, if you have a really great relationship with the board chair or the governance committee mm -hmm. chair or whatever, like right. they're the ones who are going to have to give it, get it on the agenda and give it priority, give it life, give it legs, whatever. Um, but I guess I always felt when I was an active corporate secretary that I had an obligation to, you know, share my perspectives in a constructive way that I thought, you know, the board would, you know, benefit from by it would be, you know, it would serve to enhance the board's performance. Um, so I think with that posture, um, I think a lot of boards are, are really, you know, receptive to doing things, you know, perhaps differently than they have. And right. I guess I, I view these things, you know, from a risk perspective. And I guess when we think of, you know, commonly held risk, the pandemic being, I guess, one of them for sure, like these risks don't look like other risks. And I don't think they normally get identified through a normal risk process, right? But if, you know, if there are those biases, for example, then, you know, can we support the status quo of those biases or does something need to change? And if there's real dysfunction, like, and, and, and toxicity in the boardroom, mm. um, yeah, you know, what risk does that pose to the decision-making process and the board actually being able to fulfill its obligations and for, you know, retaining, you know, directors who may be of the mind that, hey, like this is not the kind of boardroom experience that I'm willing to, you know, accommodate. Right. Uh, I'm going to go somewhere else where, you know, um, not where I get my way, though I'm sure there's some board members who are like that, but it's more <laughs> like, you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm heard, I'm invited, I'm respected, uh, I, I bring value, and, and that's acknowledged by my board peers. And there really is a sense of, you know, team, and, and maybe even defining, what does that mean? Right. You know, being part of a boardroom team, in a, you know, in that governance context is different than maybe what we would typically um, define team as being. But I just think that sort of you know, collaborative approach mm -hmm. um, is not something that gets a lot of time or attention. I think it's just assumed. Um, and then if you really step back and ask how well it's functioning, I think people would, you know, typically say, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of wanting, right? It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like you said earlier, like we're, when, when boards are looking for, for recruiting directors, they're always looking at the certain skills, whether they have finance, they have marketing, they have you know, advocacy and all those things. It's, it's, but it's also, we, we do tend to sometimes, or boards tend to sometimes overlook those soft skills yeah. um, that are also really needed. And, and we discuss it in, in the soft skill session um, of the education program. Um, Absolutely. With you, John, yeah. um, th those, those soft skills are definitely skills that are, they're, they're real attributes to, to a board and they're For needed sure they in, in order to, to maintain um, that effectiveness that boards and, and that culture um, that boards are definitely that they're looking for and longing to have and, and what pretty much basically what we're talking about. So when 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 we say that, what are the best ways to monitor um, and maintain um, the improvements made in in boardroom culture? Like what would you what would you what, what's your suggestion um, of ways to maintain 
um, improvements within boardroom culture. Yeah, so I've already referred to kind of that board evaluation process. I think a lot of directors are not, don't have a big appetite for having their own individual performance assessed. But I think, right. again, that's where it starts, right? Right. With how myself as a board member shows up and engages with others, either constructively or not, or optimally or not. And I think those are areas that are really going to hopefully draw out. And there has to be a receptivity. You know, John Dinner needs to be, when my performance is assessed, I need to have a, 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 an openness, an invitation to feedback and then a willingness to adapt and, and change. Um, so there's that. Um, kind of the group assessments, just informal at the end of the meeting. Are we living up to this kind of group covenant or promise that we made to each other? And if not, you know, where? I think part of the other thing, and I've mentioned this in other sessions around the role of board chair. I think sometimes board chairs, it's, it's they see something going on in the boardroom and they've got, they're juggling a whole bunch of different things, right? And, yeah. but there's a dynamic. And I think sometimes, it, boy, I just hope this will kind of end quickly. Um, because I just don't want to disrupt things. But at the same time, I wonder if board chairs really feel like they have sort of explicit permission of board members to kind of call a timeout and say, you know, that this is not going particularly well right now. So let's just catch our breath and, and do a restart and 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 don't carry they on. don't they have that? They don't have that. They, no. I no. don't I don't know <laughs> if they do. Like there'd be no. some who would have, you know, maybe the self-confidence. Right. Um, but others, I think at the end of the meeting, they look back and they may say, wow, like, uh, I wish I had done something a bit differently. But I think part of that is is um, symptomatic of the fact that, you know, their their board colleagues haven't said, you know, like, if I speak out of turn, if I drone on, if I do that, you know, you have permission to call me out, you know, right. all time out. Uh, I think it would make the board chair's job so much easier if they knew they could intervene and say, hey, like, I just, I think we need to, you know, change tack here, um, move on, um, you know, use more respectful language, not mm -hmm. to be dismissive, um, the body language even, you know, um, it gets to be that sometimes. Um, you know, I think we can all, in a group setting again, we can all to varying degrees be, you know, mm -hmm held to account for our for our, our conduct. You know, I'm just thinking of a, of a situation. So I was with a large financial institution. It was going through a whole ownership structure change. It was, a, okay. it was about a six year process altogether. And years after, you know, that was all done and I was out on my own. I was out uh, doing work in another city in another province. And so I was trying to keep in touch with some of the directors. So I said, I'm in town. So he invited me to his office and uh, we were just sort of chatting. And he said, made a statement that just kind of shocked me. He said, well, you know, at some point, the whole thing was a fait accompli before a decision was even made, right? Like the, the, the whole thing had so much momentum you know, management knew that they were going to be, you know, enriched by us, you know, crossing the finish line, that we'd gone beyond the point of no return. Mm -hmm. So it didn't really matter. And I sort of thought, like, are you serious? <laughs> are you serious? As a board member, you felt this is there how you felt a point in time that you were basically, you know, powerless yeah. to, to intervene and say, you know, this is not going the way we anticipated, or this is 
we need to adjust. And you were consulting, you were consulting this group? You were, you were consulting? No, no, I was just, I was just reconnecting with a person who I knew oh, okay. from the boardroom. Okay. And so he was okay. kind of filling me in as to what he was thinking in the boardroom okay. while this okay. was unfolding. And I just thought, boy, <laughs> really, you did you admit to that, right? <laughs> and I wonder, you know, did your board colleagues all think that or whatever? Right? Yeah. But it was like to think that a board member, you know, if 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 the, if he said, you know what, this is what I think. I think we're beyond the point of no return, and this is what's going to happen. And the momentum is such that the board really doesn't have any authority to stop or change things. And if all the board members nodded and said, "Yep, you're absolutely right. That's the way we are," and that's you know we all kind of agree, that's fine. Then I say that's okay, right? To explicitly adopt a posture. But right. the fact yeah. that someone was just kind of thinking it and yeah. never expressed it. Right. As and, then, and then they say, too, that what, if one's thinking that way, then yeah. I'm sure, for sure there were others, but they just never said anything, right? Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, just goes to general group dynamics. Right. Um, and how they play out. And do we not, as board members, do we not have a responsibility to, to fess up when we say, you know, I think our... Our authority has been, you know, minimized, compromised, I don't know, whatever it is, just because, you know, we've got this, you know, it's like a train going down the track and it's just gaining momentum and you're going downhill and there's no way you can stop it. But at least mm -hmm. to acknowledge the fact that, you know, um, we still need to, there, there's still risk in all of this. And, and, and what do we still have available to us as overseers, right? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we might as well sort of pack up our bags and go home. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, let's quit pretending that we're doing something meaningful in terms of our oversight when in your own mind you're thinking, you know, the, the game is over, right? Like I could see yeah. how the cards are going to be played and they're, you know, the last hand is obvious, right? Like the chess game, the, you know, I know how, um, you know, there may be moves on the board, but they're meaningless. Um, <laughs> and I would just sort of say, I just, you know, so that's, a, that's just an example, a real life example. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it made, and no one knew about it, presumably. But that's yeah, what was going on in the minds of board members. And I think mm -hmm. that I'd say, as you know, in terms of boardroom culture, there should be an obligation that if you have, if there's red flags, if there's concerns, if there's anything like that, then there's kind of, I would say, a moral obligation to kind of put that out on the table. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So to, to bring us to another real life example um, mm -hmm. was the mm -hmm. whole Rogers fiasco, yes. the whole Rogers right. boardroom drama. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely see that um, that whole issue being a case study that will be used for many, many years to come for sure. um, and how that all played out. But how can and, and are we we talk a lot about CEOs versus chairs and and how they fight for control. And, right. and how that can really hurt um, the, the that really hurts the board dynamics and the board culture and the whole decision making processes. What right. tips would you have for the governance professionals who are stuck in situations like this? Yeah. So I would say what we do typically is we define roles and responsibilities. This is what you're accountable for. This is what I'm accountable for. CEO, board, director, whatever. Right. Um, but we never ask the question, how are we going to work together? There's a lot of power at play between those responsibilities. For sure. Yeah, definitely. And we view the world differently. So the fact that there's going to be conflict, you know, we shouldn't be surprised. 
So when we inevitably run into conflict, how are we going to navigate that? Let's let's talk about that now. Like, is there a bit of a process that we could put in place? Like a, a commitment again, like we expect integrity, we expect honesty. So don't, you know, give, you know, significant issues kind of short shrift or try to sell us or don't try to, you know, minimize, you know, the significance of issues. Let's, let's put them out there. And if you're candid with us, we'll be candid and fair with you. Um, you know, this, this kind of navigating around each other, if and when it happens, can be really problematic. Um, so I think just this whole, how are we going to work together? You know, when things are going really well, when things aren't. And because uh, at the end of the day, you know, if we can navigate those things constructively, then everyone wins, right? Um, but if we don't, then you know, it's going to be really problematic. So I think in the Rogers case, um, you know, I, th I think the documentation was such that, um, you know, Ed, Ed Rogers um, had the authority vested in him that he ended up exercising. Now, maybe, I don't know what people thought about that. Were people aware? Um, maybe they were aware and they thought, well, that's theory, but that's never really going to happen. Um, or, you know, as independent directors, uh, what does that mean for us um, in terms of us to be able to deliver on our obligations to act in the best interest of the corporation when it seems the hiring, firing of the CEO got, you know, I'm going to say kind of hijacked because I think the board probably thought that, you know, the, the, the firing of the CEO will be a full board responsibility. The hiring of the CEO will be a full board you know, a key core responsibility of the board. And it didn't quite play out that way. Um, you know, Ed Rogers had to change the board to be able to get his support for the authority that he was exercising. Um, so how much better had they say, you know, this is kind of an unusual corporate governance structure, given the family ownership in that. And so what are the risks of that? And how are we going to mitigate, you know, those risks so that we can you know, at the end of the day, we don't end up being in the headlines yeah. every yeah. day for weeks on end, right? <laughs> like, I don't think anyone signed up for that. No, so not that at all. The risk, right? And, uh, you know, I, don't, I, I haven't been following the share price, but I, don't, I think that's a bit of a moot point anyways, right? That's not right. the all the end all. It's, uh, you know, there's a lot of reputational risk and whatever. I, you know, it may be hard to recruit board members now, for all I know. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's a great case study, I guess it would just have been interesting if they had focused on, you know, kind of the power dynamics and the implications for, you know, how things unfold in the boardroom and the relationship with the CEO. Because um, clearly there was lots of power plays going on, you know, a lot of one-upmanship and brinkmanship going on that I don't think anyone, you know, you wouldn't be able to find that in a manual anywhere. So saying when conflict results, yeah. this is yeah. the, this is the uh, game plan. Yeah. You know, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, and ultimately no one, yeah, like, as you said, no one never, no one ever expects like that something like this was ever or planned for something like this. Like it definitely wasn't in their risk register and it was something like that for sure. ever happening. So yeah, absolutely. Um, no really saying how to, how to plan for something like that other than to just go with it. For sure. 
So what is the big deal about board culture um, when we're focused on risk and ESG compliance and the other urgent matters? Like what, why, why is that still so important? Well, I think part of it is, or a big part of it is getting to the best possible decisions on those topics and so many others um, where the board takes full ownership and is committed to the decisions that they make because the interactions among board members in getting to that decision are, are such that all the issues are on the table. You know, there's been full candid consideration of everything that's relevant to the decision being made. And at the end of the day, board members would be able to look back and sort of say, yep, there was nothing left on the table, nothing left unsaid, no one sort of took control. This decision represents, you know, the will of the board as opposed to a subset. Um, it represents, you know, full commitment on the part of the board and not just acquiescence on the part of some because right, they yeah. saw the writing on the wall. So I just think, you know, around any of those topics, if as I said before, you know, board structure or process don't get you very far if, you know, the boardroom dynamics are, are you know, wonky and dysfunctional or varying degrees of dysfunction. Mm -hmm. um, so it's all, I think it's around the quality of decisions that, that get made at the end of the day is really where the impact is. Okay. So as, as a governance professional or, or even their boards, what can uh, governance professionals do to ensure that corporate culture and initiatives go beyond compliance. Right. So hopefully, you know, I would say perhaps facetiously, um, you know, compliance is about staying out of jail. So that's, that's kind of minimal, right? Like no one wants to end up, that's not success, staying out of right. jail. <laughs> and so you're building on that. You know, obviously that's important stuff. I don't want to minimize it, but the real value a board brings hopefully is not mere compliance. It's, you know, really bringing the full value of the board to positively influence the success of the organization, making a unique contribution. And so how much of that contribution is, is not fully realized because the boardroom culture is, gets in the way and doesn't allow it to be fully realized that everyone's best thinking doesn't show up in discussions and influence the outcome. And so I think part of it is, I think is the governance professional is perhaps sensitizing their boards to the reality of this. And again, I think board members need to be convinced. Um, they can't be pressured. Uh, they've got to own it. But I do think there's more work being done. So like one thing I did is I would feed articles, you know, when we're doing regular mailings or something in the governance committee, I just say, hey, here's a topic that's kind of come up that I thought might be interesting and informative. And uh, yeah, and, and then hopefully that sort of takes some root and, and the boards, you know, identifies that as an area where, you know, if, if you believe in this continuous improvement that there's that opportunity then I think that's a that's a great area to to affect some you know really meaningful and important change that I think is going to have you know I you may not realize the benefits until you look back 
yeah. and say, this is what it used to be like, and this is what it's like now. Right. Um, like how much is the board not hearing from the CEO because of trust and confidence issues that may dissuade them from, you know, being as, as you know, fully open and candid about things as, as they might be. You know, you'll never know until you get a sense as to, boy, the relationship with the CEO is so different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like we are just... You don't know what you had until you've lost it pretty much. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, or you look back and you regret and say, man, we should have done something about that. Yeah. Because uh, we see where we ended up. Um, exactly, exactly. And that's, that's the problem. So, yeah. So you and Tamara um, are having another um, PD event on mm-hmm. April the 7th yep. about uh, boardroom culture, mm-hmm. um, an essential requirement for governing well. Um, and, and in that event, you'll go over this in far more detail and right. post the, the link to that event in the show notes. Is there anything that you'd like to highlight um, from that event? Yeah, well, I think just the opportunity to interact in a group and have people bring their own issues for, you know, consideration and response. So I think that's one of the real benefits. Um, I always think, you know, governance theory is, you know, relatively easy to get your head around. It's the practical application. And you've been asking, so how can governance professionals, you know, impact this or contribute? Um, and, And other ways, it's, you know, boards have certain, you know, specific challenges that we'll be able to address then so taking kind of the principles we've talked about and and really applying them where you know people want to uh, get a sense as to what could we do on 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 our board um, right. you know it's the it's the the challenge of understanding the human dynamics and and the way to go and maybe how to introduce some of these practices we've talked about that board members are are resistant to um, yeah wow. and definitely will be delving into things a little more deeper for sure Great. Awesome. So how else can people find out more about you um, or Boardroom Culture? Yeah. So um, I have a website. So uh, boardgovernance.ca is where people can connect with me. They can email me anytime, john at boardgovernance.ca. They can attend one of my sessions that I do with GPC or multiple. I know I see lots of, of, of return engagements on the part of participants. So yeah, be uh, pleased to hear from people. Awesome. Thank you so much, John, for all this information. I hope um, everyone who's listening finds this very insightful. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Um, thank you to our listeners and uh, for everyone's support. Don't forget to check out the show notes in the event link. Um, if you've enjoyed this chat, please feel free to like it or to share. Um, if someone else that you feel will benefit from this chat, um, you can definitely share um, this episode and our other episodes as well. If you want to learn more about John and corporate culture, please check out the show notes of this episode. You can also learn more about GPC by visiting our website at www.gpcanada.org. Thank you so much for joining us again today, John, and we'll see everyone again soon. My pleasure. Thanks. Take care. This podcast was brought to you by Governance Professionals of Canada, or GPC, your voice for governance professionals nationwide. Our mission is to highlight all aspects of corporate governance for corporate secretaries, board members, committees, general counsel, risk, compliance, and more. For more information on GPC, please visit gpcanada.org. That's gpcanada.org. 
Tune in next time for our take on the latest in corporate governance.